and even as far as Shalane goes, she was right in front of me probably until a little less than a mile to go. And I just remember someone was running in front of me and I was like, man, they have the best form. They look like such a good runner. And I was like, Oh, that's Shalane Flanagan. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That, <laughs> yep. that explains that mystery. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like, I love that form. It was great. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance and by Casey the Travel Planner. This is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. This week, my podcast partner Patrick Ollinger and I got to interview Nicole DiMercurio. She's a professional runner with Zap Fitness up in Blowing Rock, North Carolina. She's a native of Georgia. Uh, and she's probably best known to the listeners of this podcast as the sixth place finisher at the recent 2018 Boston Marathon. We're going to talk to her about being a pro runner. We're going to talk to her about the Boston Marathon itself, all sorts of other things. So great interview we have here for you today with Nicole. Uh, I do want to say real quickly at the outset, we had a couple of audio issues. In particular, it was about a minute right around the middle of the interview where there's lots of clicking noises. We're working on it. I apologize. Hopefully by the next time we have an interview, we will have gotten it rectified. But without further ado, let's hear from Nicole. Today we are talking with ZAP athlete Nicole DiMercurio. Uh, Nicole recently finished sixth at the Boston Marathon. She's been running with ZAP Fitness for several years, and uh, regular li listeners of the podcast may recognize that name because we uh, interviewed her coach, Pete Ray, a few weeks ago. Um, before Nicole ran at ZAP, she was an all-SEC runner at the University of Georgia, and before that she was a runner for the North Gwinnett Bulldogs. So for those of you from the Atlanta area, you may recognize some of those school names. So, uh, Nicole, uh, welcome to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast, and thanks for joining Hi. us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Great. Well, just to give uh, some of our listeners a little bit of a background here, um, tell us how you got started with running. Did you, did you first start running in high school? Um, I started running about a year before high school. Um, it was something my dad did. He ran marathons, and... I always kind of thought he was a crazy person, but he loved it. Um, but I love my dad. And so I found out that was something we could do together. And I would try to tag along on runs with him. Uh, I couldn't keep up and I hated it, but it was something I got to do with my dad. Mm -hmm. But um, I kind of realized the more I worked at it, the better I got at it. And that really intrigued me. Um, so I used to play tennis back in the day, back in um, before high school. Mm -hmm. So I kind of took a different route and decided to go out for the cross country team. I ran my first race and I didn't do very well. I was bringing up the back, but the promise that if I kept working hard was very inviting to me. So right from on. there, I just kept working. <laughs> was, was, it, was that your freshman year that you started running cross country? Yes, it was. And then how quickly did you improve? Uh, it took a couple years. Um, you know, every year I'd get a little bit better and a little bit better, but it definitely wasn't instantaneously. Right on. Right on. That, that's fantastic. And then, so you ran at, at North Gwinnett High School, and then you went on to run at uh, the University of, of Georgia. Um, what were some of your, your favorite maybe running memories from Georgia. We have a lot of folks who listen to this podcast. They're big Bulldog fans, if, if not track, then football. But. And, and, and some of us were runners <laughs> at Georgia Tech. 
Just, you know, just oh. like <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> just, just saying, just, just, you know, full disclosure. But, but, but go ahead. No, I, I, I'm a Zap Fitness fan. I'm a Nicole D. Mercurio fan. So, so you know, it, it, it's all good. It's all good. Okay. Um, well, we had an excellent coach my last two years at Georgia, Patrick Cunniff. Um, and his first year of coaching, we made it to cross country nationals for the first time in a really long time. I can't remember exactly how many years, but that in itself, um, finishing regionals and being like, Oh my gosh, we made it to nationals still is one of the biggest highlights of my life. Now we came second to last in nationals, but we had a really good time. Um, yeah, qual- qualifying for nationals though. Yeah, for, for 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 listeners who don't know, to to be able to qualify for the national meet either as an individual or as a team is immensely difficult in cross country, and so yeah, that's that's a major achievement. Yeah, so that was definitely a big highlight. Um, another highlight was I didn't get to run in, but I did get to be an alternate for the DMR team that made it to track nationals indoors. Cool. Um, so I got to celebrate with a lot of those girls and watch some really fast girls race and actually get to watch it, watch the indoor track championships live. Cool. Cool. Very good. Um, so, so, and you, you were, you ran most of the 5,000, 10,000 college. You just mentioned the DMR. So I guess you were the mile leg on the DMR, but you were, you did the 5k and 10k mostly. Mostly the 5k and the 10k. And then you were, you were all ACC, right? I was. That's was, correct. Was that, in, was that in track or was that in cross country? That was in cross country. Very good, very good. Um, and so, at what point? And 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 now you're, you're you're heavily focused on the marathon. You ran you ran the Olympic trials in 2016. Um, did you know that you were going to be a marathoner, or or were you kind of waiting to be graduated to try a marathon? Or, or talk to us a little bit about that that transition. Yeah, um, the marathon is one of those distances that always really intrigued me. I thought only crazy people ran them, but I thought that finishing 26.2 miles would be such a huge accomplishment. Um, I had no interest in trying the marathon um, anytime while I was in college, but after I graduated, I figured I wanted to give a shot sometime soon. Now the issue with that was my coach at the time thought I was too young to run the marathon. Um, at the time I was 24 and most of the time marathon runners are a bit older, late twenties, early thirties, late thirties. Um, so on, but I ran 2016 Olympic trials and I qualified off of a half marathon. So the trials were my first marathon and first trial run. Um, I finished that race and it was a hot day and I felt awful. Um, but I got done and I kind of looked at the finish line and I couldn't believe I did it and I couldn't believe I finished. And it just made me really hungry to train for that race and see exactly what I could do. Right on. Yeah, absolutely. And the marathon's a very different animal than a, a 5K on a track, and, and that's kind of an obvious <laughs> statement there. But um, what did you what did you learn that first time you ran that first marathon? What was the biggest takeaway you had in terms of how you had to change your mindset going from 5K on the track to you know a marathon on the road? Well, I didn't understand why people were starting out so slow. Um, we, hit our, <laughs> we hit our first mile in like six minutes. And I'm like, come on, guys. Like, oh, we're going to run so slow today. <laughs> um, I mean, I was tired by mile six. <laughs> so 
I think the biggest lesson I've learned and I'm still continuing to learn is start out conservatively and the race won't hurt. It'll still hurt, but it won't, you won't crash and burn quite as hard. Yeah, I think that's a transition most 5Kers have to make because you're used to saying to yourself, all right, go out conservative, and that means adding 10 seconds or so per mile to your mile time or something like that. Exactly. Well, I also remember my first marathon after having run a whole bunch of 5Ks and 10Ks, I got into the last three or four miles, and you're still not running all that fast. Mm-hmm. You know, relative mm-hmm. to how fast you can run, how fast you normally race, but you want to stop. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. And, and, and that, that was a different feeling for me, too. No, exactly. And they keep, ha- and there's mile markers usually at every race, and you get to something like mile 18, and it's hard to even think about how much further you have to go. <laughs> and, you know, you're used to running 5Ks, 10Ks, where three miles your race is over six foot, 10K, you're race is over and <laughs> you still have a long way to go <laughs> yeah. sometimes in those last miles when you have the 10k left or the 5k left you're like this used to be my whole race <laughs> remember those days <laughs> those were nice <laughs> yeah. right on right on did you uh did your dad give you any advice since you said he was a marathoner he got you into it um he told me not to go out too fast but <laughs> I thought he was just being my dad. <laughs> he was right. <laughs> he was right. He was really looking out for me. <laughs> um, my parents have this great picture of me at the 20-mile mark of my first marathon, and I'm trying to cry, but I'm so dehydrated that I can't, and I'm just making this really squished-up face, and <laughs> they'll, they'll still pull it out at family events. So. <laughs> How I have nice. that to remember forever. Yeah. How nice, how nice. Yeah, that sounds like a keeper <laughs> picture. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, while we're on the topic kind of, a, of marathons and marathon running, we, we've kind of touched on this already, but um, tell us a little about your preparation for this last Boston Marathon. I mean, it's uh, obviously it was a very big deal that you finished six. Uh, so tell us, first yeah. of all, kind of, you know, when you first made this a goal to run Boston. And, 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 then, and, and congrats on that sixth place finish, by the way. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, but as far as Boston being my goal, I had talked to Pete actually before I ran California International in December and kind of targeted Boston as my true marathon goal. Um, I personally, I don't know how much Pete thought this was true, but I, I personally wanted to run CIM to test the waters to see what I could do at Boston um, as Boston's a little bit more of a competitive race and more of a race for position rather than time. And I wanted to kind of gauge off of my 2016 trials what kind of marathon I could actually run. So CIM gave me a good idea as to, okay, you know, remember what mile 20 feels like, remember what mile 25 feels like. Um, So it kind of just gave me a little test run before Boston and gave me the ability to take a little bit more risk when it came to my training for Boston. Right. (laughs) Right. And how many marathons had you run before CIM this year? Just one. Oh, wow. Just the one. Um, So so, so Boston was your, Boston was your third marathon then. So, so let's actually talk about the Boston race itself then. So, so, you know, we, we, you know, Patrick ran, um, I was injured. I wasn't able to run, but, but Patrick ran and, and we talked about, um, on our, on our podcast a couple of weeks ago, we did sort of the Boston race report and we were talking about how, 
uh, maybe a week or so out, we started looking at the weather and realizing that it was going from being kind of cool to actually being cold and then being pouring rain and wind and all that sort of thing. And so, so did you have kind of a similar thing where you're looking at the weather and, and then talk to us a little bit about the race itself? Yeah. So I did the exact same thing. Um, as soon as the weather for Monday was available, I was tracking it as long as I could, uh, 10 days out. And, you know, you kind of have that hope at the back of your mind. Oh, it's 10 days out. It'll get better. And each day it went from 60% to 80% to, you know, a couple of days before the race, a hundred percent. And one day it dropped to 90% and that gave me a lot of hope <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. I thought it would just clear up and it'd be a nice sunny day with a tailwind, but, <laughs> um, you know, it, it's, as it got closer, it became a reality that that wasn't going to happen. And anyone who runs a marathon, it doesn't matter what level you've put so much work into your marathon. So many eggs in one basket, a day like that can kind of, it can really, just be very unmotivating and you might go in with a little bit of oh my gosh I can't believe I've trained all this all this time and it's going to be a bad day like I, I don't know if this is PR weather so for me it took a little bit of mental adjusting um, I had a time targeted and I wanted that time more than anything in the entire world but I sat down with Pete and he told me you can't run this time in this weather and that's okay, but you can still have the race of your life. Mm -hmm. And I wanted the race of my life and a good time, yeah. the yeah. time I was aiming. But, um, so, you know, I sat down with Pete, it took a lot of talking through, but I had to adjust my race plan on race day. And what that race plan was, was to just go out and save your energy because you were going to need it when you need it for heartbreak on a good day you're going to need it double when it's pouring rain and a headwind right. so I just remember getting on the line and it almost seems like such a blur because I don't even remember the gun going off I just I was just like okay we're doing this and this is anyone's race anything could happen so and so, and so, yeah, for sure. And then, so the race unfolds, and and you know, y'all went out. Talk about going out slowly. The the women's race went out pretty slowly. Went out over 19 minutes for that first 5K. Um, talk to us, kind of yeah. like what, what 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 was going through your head, and then and then when like the moves started making and the front group started breaking up. Talk to us a little bit about sort of the, I don't know, for lack of a better way of saying, like the inside story of the way the women's race unfolded from the front there. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, the whole time all of us were just kind of looking around. No one knew what to do. No one could, no one could anticipate any of the moves that were going to happen. Um, I let the top girls kind of get away from me because, you know, I, I, I'm not going to be running with this, with Shalane, Molly, right off of the gun. So I let them go and I stayed back with a backpack and, you know, we, we were still hitting very conservative times. And I had to make a decision. I'm like, I could run with this pack and, you know, kind of let them take the, take some of the wind, trade off leads, or I could take a risk and kind of run and make this move and run by myself and start catching people. And it took about seven miles, but I told myself, you know, I think it, I think you can make this risk and I think it'll be fine. But 
I was very nervous the first few miles after I left the pack because people started coming back to me mm-hmm. and people were, you know, dropping off the course. I was seeing elite runners, water bottles, who I really admire still on the table, notifying me that they've either dropped out or they weren't taking their fluids. So it was more of a, I had no idea what was going on with the race. I was just very, had my head down, you know, people were yelling on the sidelines, the rain was pouring, I could barely hear anything. Um, you know, up until I crossed the line, I had no idea where I was in the race. Yeah. So, so did, did you ever have that kind of, that, that moment where you stepped out, like, say, for example, when you passed Molly Huddle or when you passed Shalane Flanagan, did you ever have that kind of moment <laughs> where you stepped out and you said, holy crap, I just passed Molly Huddle? Or, or did you, were, were you just so in it that, that you weren't even thinking about that? Well, I passed Molly and part of me was like, that's not Molly Huddle. Like, I, I don't pass <laughs> Molly Huddle. Yeah, right. I was like, there's no way, but I, I knew it was. And I started to get worried for her, hmm. but I can't worry about her because I'm like, oh, I don't want the same thing to happen to me. Mm-hmm. It, it was, and even as far as Shalane goes, she was right in front of me probably until a little less than a mile to go. And I just remember someone was running in front of me and I was like, man, they have the best form. They look like such a good runner. And I was like, Oh, that's Shalane Flanagan. Yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> right, yeah. That explains that mystery. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like, I want that form and she looks great. <laughs> and then, um, so a part of me just kind of stayed behind her. Cause at that point I was like, is she winning the race? I didn't know what was, because um, I was behind her right before Sarah and Rachel made the big move mm-hmm. for second and fourth. Mm-hmm. And they came sprinting by us. And I'm behind Shalane Flanagan. Two random people came sprinting by us. I, I had no idea what was going on. Mm-hmm. I thought there were two just spectators on the course that had seen something and needed to run on the course to go get it. Um, so, 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 you, so you didn't know Sarah. You didn't know Sarah Sellers, and you didn't know who she was when she was passing you, and stuff. No, I had no idea, and I didn't. I didn't even know if she was in the same race because she was just moving. Wow. And I was like, she knows. She, I mean, she looked great, but I was like, has she been running for twenty-two miles? And she had. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's fantastic, and it's but, it's, it's interesting to hear you describe the race too, because. Having running that race as well, I always tell people it was it almost didn't feel like a race because you were so focused on fighting the elements yeah. that mm-hmm. you know you almost didn't recognize the the people cheering for you or the mile markers, et cetera. It sounded like you had almost a similar experience where yeah. you're almost so in, in such a flow state that it's hard to almost recognize what you're doing until you know like like what happened with you where you crossed the finish line and realize that that was indeed Shailene Flanagan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was just focused on the next wind gust that was going to blow rain in my face. And Mm -hmm. I I was just, I, towards those past few miles, I had the mentality, well, that's another step I don't have to take. Like I'm closer to the finish line and also just don't quit because you're going to be in medical for as long as it's going to take you to get to the finish line. So for sure, so, <laughs> that's right. So, so, so that makes me think about a couple of things. First of all, um, I'll, I'll ask you the 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 maybe more depressing question first. But why didn't you quit? Like, like what what kept you from dropping out? 
That's actually a very good question. Um, uh, I wanted to drop out so many times. It was miserable out there. I mean, you guys know. Yeah. <laughs> um, something that really did stop me from dropping out was I talked to that co-founder, Zika Ray, mm-hmm. Pete's wife, before the race. And she was like, hey, if you just keep your head down, it doesn't matter how slow you go. I think you can finish very high. But also know if you do drop out, you're going to be on the side of the road for a blank amount of time. Mm-hmm. And that's when you can really get into trouble. And your body temper- temperature is going to go down because you're not running anymore. And there's no telling when you're going to get into warmth and, you know, be able to change out of your wet clothes. So she was just, she reminded me, just make it to the finish line, even if it's the hardest thing you do. You, so, might, you might actually that was be better nice off <laughs> continuing to run. Yeah. And so, yeah, exactly. So the the so the, the, the positive question then, so, so you cross the finish line mm-hmm. and, and you realize that you finished that high. I mean, what, what, what was your first thought? Well, I heard, I I was having trouble hearing because it was so loud and my, there was a lot of water in my ears. And I heard <laughs> someone say something with a five and I was like, okay, I'm either 15th or 50th. But then someone comes and takes me to drug testing and tell me tells me I'm fifth, and I'm like, I'm I, I ended up being fifth in the elite race, sixth over chip time, so that's right. why I keep saying fifth. Right. Um, but I, <laughs> I had no idea, and I still didn't believe. I I had trouble believing it for the rest of the day. Hmm. It's like, oh, this is a, this is no way this could happen. Like it's amazing, but I I didn't know really until later that day where it set in. <laughs> right on. Very cool. Now you talked about kind of starting with the race plan maybe earlier in the week and then having to adjust it. Um, how did you adjust mm-hmm. the race plan? And then kind of to take that question a step further, did you have to recalibrate your plan during the race itself? Because um, the elements just provided such an element or such a, um, but so much uncertainty in the race itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so as far as adjusting a race plan was, um, so I was just going to race for place and solely for place. I wasn't going to look at my watch. I wasn't going to care about splits. Um, You know, a part of me, when Pete told me that, I adjusted my my race plan to a slower time where I could still hit the paces in the element. But on race day, I just like anyone else, I couldn't plan exactly how bad it was going to be. So I went in with kind of a sub- race plan that I didn't officially discuss with Pete, but on race day, I had to <laughs> we, just we, we change that and go with Yeah, him. we won't tell him. Yeah. We'll let <laughs> yeah, it that no, part of the podcast. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, just, I had to readjust in the moment and be like, oh, well, Pete's right. Yeah. <laughs> just go for place and not even look at my watch because it's not even worth getting frustrated about. Mm-hmm. Right on. Right on. So, so tell us what you've been doing since then. The race was Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, yeah, three weeks ago, yeah. Um, and so, so what you been doing since then? Um, so I just got back from a trip from Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, Tyler, who got fourth on the men's side, right. um, Tyler and I went there. He's my boyfriend. He also runs for Zap. Uh, we spent two weeks there and got to see a lot of Ireland. Got to just enjoy some t- some downtime. That's very rare in this sport. Right on. You've been doing any running? Um, I'm actually, now I'm in Tampa, Florida. Um, I have an issue going on with my foot, so I'm getting that checked out. Okay. But, very good. Uh, not, not a lot not of running, a lot of bike riding. 
So, all right. Biking's yeah. good. Cycling's good. We're with that. So, very good. So, yeah. so you want to kind of wind it back a little bit and talk about life as a pro, Patrick? Uh, yeah, sure. So you mentioned, um, you know, you and Tyler both run for Zap, and we have mm-hmm. talked with Re- or um, Pete on this podcast before about what Zap does and about how it's, you know, both a camp for, you know, adult runners and also kind of a place for uh, elite runners to go and train and kind of um, build up their their skill set and their fitness while, you know, kind of gunning for for an Olympic team. So tell us a little bit mm-hmm. about what life is like as an athlete at at um, Zap Fitness. Yeah, um, Zap is a dream place to train. Um, you know, it's in the middle of the woods. It's not really near anything. So there's miles and miles of trails. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as, say, our daily routine goes, uh, we have practice at 8.15. Um, so we'll, we'll do our practice. We'll come back, probably do some core or weightlifting. Um, I don't want to say weightlifting. It's not, we're not maxing out every day but um just some core strength yeah. and stability. george and i aren't doing any uh <laughs> strength training either we might be lifting something okay. but it sure as heck ain't strength speak for yourself <laughs> yeah i mean i graduated to the bar so you know right on it's a big day isn't it i have to say i just reset uh, myself <laughs> yeah body weight to the bar we're yeah. doing big things over here um so we'll do some core and then uh we'll have breakfast, or I guess at that point it'll be lunch time. And then we have the rest of the day to just kind of focus, take a nap. Pete's pretty big into taking naps, which when I first got to Zap, I didn't quite embrace. I <laughs> I just had that mentality. I was like, I don't never take a nap. That's what lazy people do. Yeah. And then, um, you know, he explained that, oh, you know, it's good for recovery. Um it's just good for muscle memory and just relaxing, taking your mind off of things. So, you know, it took about a sentence to convince me napping was part of my job. Right. Or, or one so nap. We, <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then we'll kind of hang out. Um, I like to read. I, I don't know. You can walk around. Um, go to a coffee shop. Yeah, and uh, if I remember right, Pete told me you guys also help um, around the camp, whether it be, you know, helping around the kitchen or helping kind of interact with the campers who are there to learn about running, maybe the more casual joggers or, or everyday runners. Oh, yeah. Um, have you had a chance to do that? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I was just going through my um, day when it's not camp season. But as far as camps go, those are actually a lot of fun. Um because they'll have a run in the morning and we can go to that and help out and kind of point, make sure people don't get lost in the woods of North Carolina. That would be bad. Oh, um, and then, <laughs> so we, we kind of guide, we guide them and, you know, cheer them on because it's hilly there and you don't want to do those hills without, without someone supporting you. Um, and then, you know, they have, various activities they can do through the day and we'll help out with those um whether it's a hike and we can go hike with them and talk to them and you know kind of hear about their goals and what they're working for um and then as far as dinner and meal prep goes we usually have someone helping our chef michael ryan in the kitchen and they'll be you know chopping up vegetables seasoning chicken um and then serving that uh, buffet style to the campers. And then we have 
then we'll also clean up the plates, um, you know, clean up the kitchen, vacuum, and then the campers go. Usually after dinner, they have a talk, and it can be either with Pete, Zika, one of the staff coaches, or a guest speaker that we'll bring in, and, you know, we'll all listen to that. Then they go to bed. But it's very interactive, and you get to meet a bunch of cool people. And I think the great thing about runners is everyone has the same goal, regardless of what level you're running on. Everyone just wants to get better and everyone wants to talk about running and what's worked for some people and what, what hasn't worked. So, you know, it's nice to get a different perspective. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's also, in a way, part of the reason, you know, we wanted to bring you to this podcast because you, know, you definitely mm-hmm. bring a different perspective as someone who's, um, you know, training for Zap and kind of, uh, you know, running as, as as an elite runner here. Um, now, in terms of like, uh, I'm trying to think, life as a pro, has anything kind of surprised you? Like making the jump from college to uh, being a Zap runner? Like, is there anything that maybe you didn't expect? Besides the nap thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was a huge surprise to me. I think what really surprised me was how much mental strength it takes to be a runner at the elite level. In college, you know, I was studying. I had, you know, group functions I wanted to go to. I was balancing my time with a million different things. And, of course, you can still do that. Being a pro runner isn't no fun at all. But a lot more of your time is focused on being a runner and what's going to make you a better runner and, you know, probably not staying out till midnight every night of the week. Um, but I, I think the biggest surprise overall was just how much dedication it does take to be an elite runner. Yeah. You had to, you, you moved from Athens, Georgia to Boone, North Carolina, not even Boone, but like outside of Boone, (laughs) right? blowing rock, North Carolina. I mean, was, was that a big, was that a big transition as far as like your social life and all that sort of thing? It was. Um, and for the first probably a year I didn't embrace it I you know I was just like I live out in the middle of the woods I I can't even go to Target which is my favorite place to just walk around Um, but not only can I not do that there's not music festivals there's not you know just random food truck festivals I don't know you name it going on there and I that was a big shock for me and something I really didn't like at first, but now I kind of see that it's built into the design. If I was doing something every single day of the week, all day, then what time am I dedicating to running and being a better runner? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, sure. Yeah, it totally makes sense. I, I think that that sort of monastic existence, it sounds mm-hmm. like, you know, I mean, but it, mm-hmm. it, it definitely seems like there would be a transition to it. So, so kind of getting back to that 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 sort of typical day that you were talking about before, the 8:15 practice, the 8:15 session y'all have, is that like your that's your primary session of the day, right? That's your that's your big run yes, of the day. Yes, it is. And then do you, do you mm-hmm. sometimes come back in the afternoon and do a second run? Yeah, um, when I'm marathon training, I'll do a second run more days right. than I won't. Right. So, so, and then the days where I'm. Hmm? Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, and then the days I won't, I'll probably cross train. Okay. For my second afternoon activity. So, so let's talk about some of that stuff then. Um, um, first mm-hmm. of all, I mean cross training. So, so um, 
we, we have a lot of folks that listen that, that are runners, but also a lot of folks that listen that are, that are triathletes, and then a lot of folks who, like mm-hmm. me, are runners and who cross-train a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, talk to mm-hmm. us a little bit about your cross-training. What do you do? Um, so I'm big fan of the stationary. Oh, I don't want to say big fan. It's, it's okay, but I'll <laughs> do the stationary bike. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have something called the elliptical, right. which is like an elliptical, but it has more of a runner's mechanic aspect to it so i'm a big fan of doing that just um on a stationary platform we can't really take it up the mountains of north carolina Um, Mm -hmm. but i'm a big fan of doing that um i'll just pop on something to watch probably the office for like the 200th time and then just kind of crank out a session um but yeah, those are my two go-tos. We have access to a pool. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go sometimes, but mm-hmm. for some reason for me, pool running reminds me of injury, okay. which yep. I don't want to do. But I know it's great exercise, and I should probably do it a little bit more. But that's fair. Those I would mean, be my go-to. That makes sense. I mean, that you you associate with injury, and so therefore you don't want to do it when you're not injured. I mean, that that, that makes perfect sense. Then so yeah. so when you're when Take us through a little bit, so 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 your your total number of hours, I guess. Um, if if you're thinking about um, not only when you're 5k and 10k training, but when you're really starting to get into your your your, your big build weeks for marathons, uh, how many miles a week mm-hmm. or how many hours a week? Or do you, do you go by hours or do you go by you go by miles? Uh, I like to go by miles. So so how many miles a week um, do you tend to do? So I worked up to 100 miles this marathon cycle, which is actually pretty low for a marathon runner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that was my big for, for a triple digit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> my background's very low marathon, very low mileage. Excuse me. And you know, Pete's actually been great to work with because he's kind of eased me up to higher mileage. And you know, back in college, I was like, oh, I'm not high mileage at all. And I'm slowly starting to realize I might be a high mileage runner. But making that transition was a little bit difficult. But yeah, I got to 100 miles Very good. in my build-up. And and you were, you said you have a foot issue now, but but you got you you towed mm-hmm. the, the the line at the Boston Marathon healthy and ready to go, right? Yes, I was. Um, you know, it was something that was bothering me a little bit, but I mean, nothing was going to stop me from running that marathon. I knew I knew it wasn't a stress fracture or anything very serious, and that was most likely muscle related. So. I just taped it up, mm-hmm. had some Advil, and went for it. Right on. Yeah, that's interesting. You 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 brought up how Pete's training is has a maybe been a little different than the training you had in college and in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. Maybe some different nuances that that Pete has brought to your training, and then maybe some new things that that you've learned or how it's differed from from collegiate training. Because that's always fascinating yeah, so, to me for you know jumping from one philosophy to the next and kind of learning you know, what philosophies fit each runner individually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, in college, we would run every single run as fast as we could. It yes. was mm-hmm. anything from six minutes to 6.30. It was like, it didn't matter how far you were going, you were going to run that pace. Really? Which is a great way to hate running. Okay. <laughs> not hate running, but a great way to be like, oh, my gosh, I have to go to practice, and I, I'm not going to be able to keep up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think – Coming to Zap and Pete just told me, you need to take easy days easy. And that means, you know, you can run 8.30, 9-minute pace, but you need to get those recovery days in. 
And that was a very foreign concept to me because why would I take recovery days? If I run fast all the time, I'm going to run fast, right? And that's not how it works. And Pete, Pete was great at explaining exactly why that doesn't work and how, you know, taking your easy days a little bit easier. I mean, you don't have to run nine-minute pace, but, you know, kind of listen to your body. And as the season progresses and you get more into shape, your easy days will be a little bit faster, but just not to force it. Um, another thing Pete does that I didn't do in college is our long runs will have some sort of surging within them. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it's one-minute surges, two-minute surges, three-minute surges, we are always about 45 minutes into our long run doing some sort of change of pace, which is great because it helps break up what's going to be over a two-hour run and helps you focus on Okay, getting to the next surge and that next surge, you're gonna is um, obviously it's just a surge for about a minute, but it's gonna help the overall pace quicken bit by bit, and by the end you can actually really get moving and finish, say a 20 mile run, feeling pretty tired, but feeling like you accomplished a lot and covered covered a lot of ground pretty well, and that helps on race day where you can work back and say where you can look back and say. Oh yeah, I remember I did that long run and finished that blank mile pace. Obviously, I didn't start there, but even checking your splits on your watch and being like, "Oh yeah, I did this," and it's just a big confidence booster on race day. Absolutely, and it, it's funny you, you describe your uh, college practice experience. I have to say, I think that's uh, pretty common among collegiate athletes. To I, I, so, yes. okay, so, 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 so the Georgia Tech guy is going to weigh in and, okay. and, and say that wasn't my experience. And I could totally portray that as a Georgia versus Georgia Tech thing, but I'm not going to because it's not. But but I, but I I do wonder why that is I do wonder because I'm sure your 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 coach in college I'm sure wasn't telling you to go out and run hard on your easy runs was he no absolutely not yeah. it was just something we did right yeah and so I, I think it's just I, I think it just happens that like the teammates that I had mm-hmm. had, had enough experience mm-hmm. uh, to know that that's just not how you do it mm-hmm. um, but yeah I think yeah. a lot of people maybe just come out of high school and go into college and just come out of high school thinking oh you're supposed to run hard on every run and that's so they go into college and they continue mm-hmm. to run hard on every run or something like that but um, yeah yeah but 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 yeah but that but that was definitely Patrick's experience Patrick went to Sanford and ran there and he said that was his experience okay but but, but your coach at Sanford was telling you to run hard every day wasn't he uh, yeah <laughs> we won't touch on that um <laughs> Yeah, uh, but that's definitely interesting, though, to see kind of how you learn something new at each stage of running. Like, yeah. you know, you mm-hmm. talked about kind of changing pace, you know, even in the mm-hmm. long run. And I can tell you, one, that's something that George Darden here kind of taught me a couple of years ago. That's something to incorporate more and more into training. And I know that's something that, mm-hmm. that Pete, in many ways, learned from Bill Squires, um, who's kind of yeah. a legendary uh, long-distance coach. So, you know, it's interesting to kind of transition from, from one coach to the next and kind of learn something new from each because in many ways, mm-hmm. you know, coaches are teachers and, you know, you can learn something new from, from each teacher as you kind of graduate levels. For sure. You know? Yeah, I agree. Oh, yeah. So, so, what it, so what is, you mentioned the, the long runs with, uh, with some strides in there, some long runs with some pickups in there. Um, what's your favorite workout? Mm. You don't have to pick just one favorite. What, what are some of the ones that you feel like, you know, and it can be favorite in, in any terms. It can be favorite that, that you really enjoyed doing it. Probably not. Um, it could be one that you got <laughs> to the finish and you're like, that was killer. Like, mm-hmm. I am the woman. 
Like, 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 what are some of your favorite workouts? Some memorable Okay, ones. so in this, yeah, in this marathon build-up, we tried to mimic the Boston course. Well, we did mimic the Boston course, um, starting from Grandfather Mountain in North Carolina and running down to Bass Lake, Moses Cone. Mm-hmm. And that whole workout ended up being 25 miles. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I was sore for days, but it was that workout where I looked back and, I, I honestly say I could do anything if we survived that workout because that was not fun and it was really hard. It, but it was just like Boston weather. It was windy and cold and rainy. Um, but that was just uh, probably once in once every two year workout. But as far as like regular workouts we do, I really do like the long runs with surges. I, I'm a big fan of long run day. I wish I could run long every single day, but that is not conducive to good training. <laughs> right. um, um, so I do like long running with surges. We also have this loop at Bass Lake, which I mentioned earlier, and it's a 1500 meter loop. Mm-hmm. And during marathon training, we'll do Bass Lake loops where we'll start out running, say five loops. and then the next intervals four loops next loop three loops and so on um Hmm. so that's kind of cool you know it's it's a nice big chunk of land and you get to i don't know you get to run the same thing and it's kind of like a track but not as much pressure Mm -hmm. um and in every work in every interval you're going down so if you made it six loops you could make it five Mm -hmm. so I really like that workout, and usually that's a good indication of fitness because the gravel at Bass is a little bit loose, and if it's rained at all, it'll be pretty soft. So the elements there are a little bit more difficult than, say, running on a track. But, you know, just like I said, I'm a big fan of looking back on workouts uh, the day before a race or the day of the race and saying, remember when I did that? You can do anything. So I'll say... Remember when you ran your 3K split and this time at Bass and it was soft? Wait, you can run this race. For sure. I do that too. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say, kind of to bring it back to Boston, we went, I can say our, little, our group went for a run just the day before the race and you know, it was pouring. There was even some kind of snow mixed in there and it was freezing. And somebody even mentioned, mm-hmm. this just feels like a Thursday morning run. Mm-hmm. You know, we can do this. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm sure you had some of those moments, even you know, heading to the race uh, this year for for, for Boston. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell, tell us more about that Grandfather Mountain workout, because I I think that I had read or I'd seen an interview with Pete where he was talking about that he was talking about Tyler specifically, but I mm-hmm. imagine Tyler probably did it as well. That that one of his last gigantic workouts was on in bad conditions. So. So you said you started at Grandfather Mountain, but what? And then you went 25 miles. What was the actual workout? Um, so we just had some surges in that long run. Okay. And so it wasn't. I, I can't remember the exact length of the surges, but I think it was just a different venue and going completely downhill mm-hmm. for such a long time mm-hmm. that made the workout a little bit different. Whereas, you know, you're training in Bowling Rock, Boone it's usually rolling hills and mountains and big hills you have to climb. So it was just a change of pace to get us ready for the first few miles of Boston that were just completely downhill. Right. On. Right. right. On. And now what it, since this was your first time running Boston, what was your, your, some of your takeaways or some of your impressions of the race itself and, and the pageantry and, and kind of the, the spirit of the race? 
I mean, it was amazing. Um, there were people still lining the streets and it's pouring. It, they're, they're freezing. They have to be, but they're out there cheering everyone on. And, you know, the volunteers that helped us with our water bottles are sitting there in the pouring rain. You can tell they're cold and, you know, their thin ponchos are being soaked through. It, it was an amazing experience because everyone was more supportive than the next person. And even the runners, mm-hmm. but the day before the race, um, you know, I always mention that's the best thing about running is it doesn't matter what level you are. We're all so excited to be at the Boston Marathon. They qualified to be here. I qualified to be here. We all get to talk about, you know, how bad the race is probably going to feel tomorrow. But the fact that we're here, we made it, and we're going to have a great day no matter what. Very cool. Very cool. So what's next? I don't know what's next, actually. Um, I'm going to... I'm going to see how quickly my foot heals, and then I would like to do the Peachtree Road Race just because it's in Atlanta. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm hoping for a quick turnaround, and whether that's my debut for summer road racing or not, I'd like it to be on the schedule. Very good. Do you have another marathon this year? Um, not yet. Um, I want to I want to discuss that with Pete, but we haven't really talked about it because right, right. <laughs> I think good. I've just wanted all my energy on Boston, and then we'll go for time at another marathon, hopefully soon. Mm-hmm. For sure. And then uh, and then the the trials in 2020, right? Mm-hmm. That are going to be in Atlanta. I know. I was so excited. It was the last thing I saw before I went to bed in Ireland, and I was like, "Well, I'm not going to be able to sleep. I'm so excited." <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Um, do you already have your Olympic trials qualifying time for 2020? Yes, I do. Awesome. And so, so you'll definitely be there one way or another. And, and Patrick and I will be volunteering on the course someplace along the way to, uh, to, 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 to help you out. So, so looking forward to that. Oh yeah. gosh. Yeah. We'll yeah, be happy to hand you some water. Really <laughs> yeah. Yes, please do. It's going to be hot. No, that's exciting. Thank you guys. Yeah, yeah definitely. Definitely. Um, what else you got, Patrick? Uh, I think that's all I had. Um, but, Nicole, thank you so much for uh, joining us this morning. Um, and congrats once again on a huge um, race at Boston. Um, look forward to, to kind of seeing, uh, you know, what races you run in the future and kind of hearing more good things about you and, and, you know, what you're doing. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. All right, Nicole, thank you. Stay in touch. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Thanks again for joining us, everybody. You can check us out on Twitter, at Pleasant Podcast, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Pleasant Podcast. Don't forget to visit our sponsors, ITL Coaching and Performance at itlcoaching.com and at itlcoaching on Twitter and facebook.com slash itlcoachingandperformance. And then, of course, my wife, Casey Dart, and the Travel Planner, our other sponsor. You can go to her website at caseytravelplanner.com. You can drop her line at caseytravelplanner at gmail.com. That's K-A-C-I-E, travelplanner at gmail.com. Or you can visit her on Facebook, facebook.com slash caseytravelplannermev. Once again, everybody, on behalf of Patrick Ollinger, this is George Darden. We appreciate you joining us here on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. See you next time.